0: Yeah! Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, good morning. Welcome to Compass. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. And as always, I'm so glad that you joined me. And I'm especially glad because football season just started this week. I could not be more excited. Terry and I love NFL football. And in case you didn't know this, and you should, we are huge Tom Brady fans. Now we started out as Patriots fans, and we still are Patriots fans, but really at heart, we just love Tom Brady. And, and and when he retires and we have to figure out what to do, who to cheer for, we'll figure that out. But But for now, I love almost everything about Tom Brady. I love his work ethic. I love his team focus, his chiseled good looks. But I also know that there are people who don't like him. People who think he's arrogant and kind of a jerk. Honestly, I'd like to know what you think. I mean, what's your opinion? Is Tom Brady awesome or is he awful? Now, I've also gotten some criticism too for becoming a Tampa Bay fan just because Tom Brady moved over there from the Patriots. And I think some people think that there is a moral dimension to being a fan of a team. And this this moral dimension is violated somehow when it looks like you only liked that team because they had one player. And then when that player leaves, you go support the team they're a part of. So what do you think? Do you think that Terry and I were wrong to switch teams because Tom Brady switched teams? And then I also totally realized that you may be completely bored talking about this because you don't give a rip about football or sports. And nothing is more annoying than when people who like sports talk about it like everyone else should love sports too. So again, I'd like to know what you think. Do you think this whole conversation about sports is dumb? What's interesting about this little conversation that we've been having is that if you're like most people, you just made some judgments and you made some judgments about others. The first judgment you made was whether Tom Brady is awful or awesome. And interestingly, you've probably never met Tom Brady. Or had a conversation with him. You've never spent time with him and his family or heard him share his thoughts and feelings on anything. And yet it was probably very easy for you to make a super quick decision on how you feel about him. You also probably made a judgment about me based on the fact that I switched teams and I switched team loyalty when Tom Brady did. Maybe you think that's totally disloyal and that I'm not a good fan. Maybe you think I'm smart for rooting for a team that has better odds of winning. But even if you aren't a huge sports fan, you may have an opinion about that and you may have formed a judgment of me based on that opinion. And then finally, if you don't like sports, I didn't want to leave you out because You may have just judged me and other football fans like me as dumb and annoying for talking about it all the time. And listen, I wasn't always a sports fan. I used to get mad when the Super Bowl was on because it preempted the new episode of X-Files and I would just lose it. So I get it. But we all do this. We all make quick judgments and often we make them without a lot of thought or deliberation. Human beings are notoriously bad at making quick judgments of other people. For example, of all the qualities that make a good politician, what would you think is the most important quality? You think that quality is likability, competence, experience? Well, a recent study just showed that one of the first and most influential qualities that will get people's votes is how attractive the candidate is. That's right. A recent study just showed that regardless of ideology, political affiliation, party platform, candidates who are viewed as more attractive got an average 12% increase in votes over the first runner up just for being pretty. Just wearing contacts instead of glasses makes a statistical impact, which is why I wear contacts today because I want you to think I'm attractive. So what does all this mean, okay? It means this, that whether on a talent competition or a daytime court reality show, we like judging others. And we love seeing other people get judged. And and it doesn't matter if if we're judging them on an issue of taste, style, attractiveness, morality, entertainment preference, we are addicted to judging other people. And those judgments happen fast, too. I mean, they are regularly instant and subconscious, and they're often based on not much more than than shallow perceptions and opinions that we already have. I mean, does it really affect any of us who Tom Brady plays for? Or what team anyone cheers for? Or whether somebody likes sports or not? And alternately, how bad could the negative impact be if we regularly elect leaders on the basis of their attractiveness rather than experience or ideology or character? I took some time to set all this up because as we are working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is a section of teaching in the book of Matthew, where Jesus lays out the fundamentals for how his followers should live. In the Sermon on the Mount, we come across a passage on, you guessed it, judging others. And I think this is super relevant for Christians and us in the church because a recent survey of people between 16 and 29 Nearly 90% said that the main quality that Christians are known for is being judgmental. That Christians criticize and condemn people for how they choose to live their lives. But based on how Jesus lived and what he taught, do we really have a basis for judging others? I mean, let's look at what he said in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 2. Jesus says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. So Jesus comes out direct, do not judge others. We can stop here and have a pretty strong message about how to live like Jesus lived. Judging others is wrong. But maybe we should clarify this a little bit because obviously this is not a matter of thinking things like, you know, that guy's too old to wear skinny jeans. And for the record, I wear slim fit, not skinny. But Jesus isn't talking about superficial judgments of people, rather he's talking about personal condemnation. Condemnation of their actions, their attitudes, their morality, their lifestyle. He's talking about the judgment of a person that causes you to treat them differently than others. Condemnation. Jesus' brother James actually wrote quite a bit of this because he wrote a letter that became a book in the New Testament. And look at what James writes in James 4 verse 11. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So James actually rounds out our understanding of judging others by telling us a couple of things. The first thing, and this is a a small thing, but it's that when we slander, gossip, or speak against someone, we are judging them. Or maybe maybe that's actually just a solid way to diagnose if you or someone else is judging somebody. Because in the same way that a tea kettle whistles when the water's boiling, gossip and slander are surefire ways to know if judgment is boiling up in your heart. But beyond that, there's a deeper spiritual principle we need to understand about this. And I think it's about understanding what's really at stake. Because... James says that when anyone judges someone else, they're actually sitting in judgment of the law itself. That when we judge a person, we are judging God's law and finding God's law lacking. So what does that mean, to judge or to condemn the law? Well, our initial reaction might be to assume this means, because of the context, that we are judging the Jewish scriptures or the law of Moses That somehow, by judging another person, we are showing that we don't take the Old Testament seriously, because often in the New Testament, when they talked about the law, that's what they meant, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. But a lot of Old Testament rules were wiped out by the church after Jesus. Things like circumcision, temple sacrifices, and ceremonial rules were all let go of. So is that what this means? That if we're judging the law, we're not elevating the Old Testament enough? Well, all we really have to do to understand what James is saying is to look at the rest of what he wrote to get context. And remember, the book of James in the New, that we find in the New Testament, originally it was just a letter that he wrote to the churches in Jerusalem. He wrote it as a whole thought. He didn't write it as a bunch of separate verses to be cataloged. And in James chapter 2, he says this in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So when James says we are judging the law, when we judge others, he's not talking about the law of Moses or the Old Testament. He's talking about the new law of God that Jesus gave his followers. What the first century apparently took to to call the royal law, it was this, love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about this law almost every week at Compass to the point where you might be sick of it because this is so central to the gospel and to understanding Jesus' message. Jesus said if we love our neighbor as ourself, then all of the law of Moses is accomplished. It's taken care of. It's squared. And in Jesus, this royal law wiped out the old Mosaic law and replaced it. So when we judge others, we do three things. First, We look at them and we measure up all the things they're doing that don't line up or live up to our personal moral standard. Second, we say that Jesus' love isn't enough to cover that. And then finally, we substitute our own judgment for his. I mean, clearly God isn't punishing this person enough for their sin, or maybe God just hasn't driven home to them how bad they really are. And if God isn't sitting in the seat of judgment, somebody needs to, so it might as well be me. See, what we're really doing when we judge others is we are moving God out of his role as judge and we're climbing up into that seat ourselves. Because, I mean, clearly we can do better. Look how James describes it in chapter four, verse 12. He says, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James is like, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and buddy, it's not you. And if God is the one true judge, the ultimate authority, who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? See, sometimes when we get very religious, too religious, We stop identifying with the deficiencies, needs, and humanity of people, and especially people we read in the Bible. And then we start to think we are more like God than we are the people in those stories. And when that happens, judgment will always win out. Because we aren't God. We are imperfect and broken people, and we can't fill his judgment seat. And this is what happens. When we judge others, we replace the love of Jesus with our own arrogance. Judgment is rooted in seeing ourselves in God's seat rather than seeing ourselves on our own seat. But our way of judging others doesn't look anything like his. I mean, think about this. How did God judge us? When he looked on us in our sinfulness, our brokenness, and our rebellion, what did he do? He sent Jesus to die for us to remove the charges against us, to remove our guilt and take it upon Himself. That's what God's judgment looked like in your life and in mine. But when we begin to judge and condemn others, we are assuming the posture of God and we begin to think that we are the ones who determine what's right and wrong and who is right and wrong. But look at what James says we are to do instead. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, James says the law that gives freedom. What is the law that gives freedom? It's Jesus' royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves, And when that is what we concern ourselves with, our whole posture shifts. It moves us from being worked up about the wrong things that someone else is doing, to instead focusing on how best to love them. From fretting about their sin, to finding ways to care for them the way that Jesus would've. Jesus's way of love is not rooted in condemnation or punishment. It's a posture of love, humility, forgiveness, and mercy. And at the end of the day, you can offer mercy or judgment but never both. They can't occupy the same space in our lives, but mercy triumphs over judgment in the lives of followers of Jesus. Now, if none of this has convinced you to rethink how you might be judging others, this last bit should. Matthew 7:2. Jesus says, "'The standard you use in judging "'is the standard by which you will be judged.'" If nothing else helps you see how important the issue of loving each other is to Jesus. This should do it. The measure by which you judge others is the me- the measure which with-, with which you will be judged. Do you offer people mercy, forgiveness, and grace? Or do you offer them vengeance, anger, and punishment? In your words and actions, would people say they feel loved or condemned because this is what you will receive, mercy or judgment. For the record, condemnation is not ours to give, okay? It is God's alone. And even though he is the only one who can sit in the judgment, sit in judgment over all of us, he still chose to offer us love, forgiveness, and mercy through the death of Jesus on the cross. His mercy triumphed over his judgment And that must be our way too. Instead of a society marked by condemnation, followers of Jesus are are called to form a society marked by humility, love for our neighbor, and reconciliation. Judgment and, and condemnation complicate and corrode simple love for others. Let us be a people who are known for love. Let us be a people for whom it is always said in every interaction, every decision, every practice, and every prohibition that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's see what God does when we extend this law, this royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves into the way that we look at, view, and act towards other people, specifically in the judgments we make on them and the condemnation that it's so easy for us to put on top of them. Let's see what God does if we can live this out. If we can live like Jesus lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. Thanks for joining me, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.